Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad to be back with you on this Tuesday. For you, it may be morning, afternoon, or evening. So hello wherever you're listening from, the Americas or somewhere in Europe or Asia. We're glad to have you listening to the show. Before we get into our conversation with Mr. Brad Holcomb, who's committee chair of the ISM Manufacturing Report on Business, talking about the ISM number, or Dr. Chris Keel, when he talks about later what's uh, Going out of the credit manufacturer, sorry, the credit manager's index, and what uh, that is portending. I'd like to talk with Lou Wise, my co-host, who is uh, in New Jersey. I happen to be in Atlanta. We're broadcasting together. Lou, what's going up on in New Jersey today? Uh, not a lot. I'm glad to see <laughs> that everybody's back to work. Uh, and uh, being that we all had a great uh, three-day uh, Labor Day. Uh, end of summer events uh we did not have the hurricane i wish i was a weatherman i i can get 60 percent of my work wrong and uh not lose my job so that's uh that's a pretty neat uh, job feature anyhow uh last week uh our, our postscript for last week's show is uh we had the president of the alliance for american manufacturing Scott Paul. Uh, he was on our show. Uh, the Alliance for American Manufacturing is a, a collaborative uh, organization uh, made up of um, metalworking industry companies and the U.S. Steelworks, the AFL-CIO affiliates. And uh, they have a collective group of about 150,000 supporters, and I hope they were all listening to, uh, to that show. Uh, on August 30th, 2016. A great show, incredible uh, discussion about the eight ways that the divided, crumbled Congress and White House can help manufacturing. So if there's a word to the wise to Washington, maybe they should be listening to the show also and get a couple of good ideas from Scott Paul. Uh, I'm sure he's... uh, told them in many different ways his opinions. So that's a great show, so tune in for it. Uh, by the way, I'd like to mention that uh, the show that we had on August 21, uh, which turned out to be an incredible show, uh, we, we had so many listeners all over the country listening to it. Uh, it's about uh, the prison labor uh, story that we have uh, called the uh, Manufacturing Competes with Prison Slave Labor Allowed by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution signed by President Roosevelt in 1934. Well, I'm sure what he signed off on is not what he envisioned that's happening right now. And what is happening right now in the prison uh, private prison sector is absolutely horrible, uh, and the sh- this is the show is a one of three. Uh, I suggest that you tune into it. It was on August 21, 2016. 
It's an incredible show. We are going to have another show coming up on uh, September 13th, Part 2, and we'd like to talk to you more about it at the end of the show, so stick around for uh, for the end, and uh, Tim will tell you all about it. Uh, Timmy, back to you. Uh, sorry. We're here with Mr. Brad Holcomb, who is a committee chair of the Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing Business Survey Committee. Every month they put out the report on business for the Purchasing Managers Index, and this month it's taken an interesting turn. And, Brad, hopefully you can explain to us why we shouldn't all be jumping off a cliff. But welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for that uh, kind introduction. <laughs> Um, I'll try to explain you haven't as heard much from as me I yet. can. Uh, exactly, but I'm sure I will. The uh, the check. PMI is at 49.4, somewhat surprising, most would say, uh, down 3.2 percentage points uh, from last month. Uh, but let's uh, first remember two things. This is uh, one month sort of blip on the screen, perhaps. Uh, a pause, uh, August pause in the uh, manufacturing activity, but also let's remember that the overall economy has been growing for 87 consecutive months. And in fact, even at uh, a PMI of 49.4, that would be predictive of a 2% increase in real GDP annually. So 49.4 isn't uh, the, the, you know, the number that we wanted this month. It's a tad below 50, but not too inconsistent with our 12-month average, which is only 50.2. So we've been kind of slugging it out uh, this year um, with a nice trend beginning to set up. And, again, I believe that this month is uh, simply a pause in the action uh, you know, due to, you know, whatever was going on, whatever was on people's mind in the August time frame, you know, maybe it was the, you know, blistering heat in many areas of the country, you know, unfortunate flooding in, uh, in parts of the country, or people simply not going to the store because they're watching the Olympics for two weeks straight. I just, I just don't know. Uh, there aren't really any clues uh, within the report itself or the, the comments, which are quite mixed, some plus, some minus, and some in between. So that's the headline number, 49.4, uh, and it is what it is. Meanwhile, maybe too many people were watching too many political town halls and debates and CNN and Fox and all the rest of them. Um, well, it's really got it's really gotten old. Well, it, it really has, and I, you know, I'm not one of those that have been, you know, tied tied into that. I just, it is what it is. Like I just said, with respect to the PMI, um, I think for the most part, it seems to me that people have factored this. Uh, you know, the situation into the thinking with regard to, you know, how they respond to the economy, how they contribute to the economy. Um, but time will tell if this gets, 
you know, more interesting to use a term, you know, it could have uh, an impact. And what are the respondents saying, Brett? Okay, one at a time. (laughs) Go ahead, Tim. We're being very polite. Uh, But I'm I'm, uh, looking to see what the respondents are saying in the report, Brett. Yes, um, an interesting set of comments, and let me go down to, to the last one. I was asked earlier today about uh, about oil and its impact in, in that particular industry, and we have a comment from what we term the petroleum and coal products industry, and, and here it is. Oil prices continue to seek a footing, rig count slowly increasing. Uh, and that recount is very telling in terms of how the industry is feeling about, you know, the price of oil and, and the future uh, trajectory. Uh, I have friends that have been impacted by a dramatic reduction in rig count down in the Houston area. And to see that the rig count is slowly increasing is, is certainly positive news. So that's that's one that I'd like to highlight right off the bat. Uh, a couple others that are uh, positive. One comes from fabricated metal products, and here's the comment: commercial construction continues to be strong, and therefore our business is very good. And and relatedly, uh, the next one above that on my list from the non-metallic materials or minerals products, continued strong market demand for our products related to construction. Uh, I live in Dallas and and drive around quite a bit, and I was noticing how much construction is taking place here in in our uh, city. And it's it's almost shocking. There's so many projects. Uh, Houston is the same. And so... You know, this really uh, speaks to these two comments, uh, speak to that, uh, you know, more generally across the country. Not everywhere, of course, but, you know, certainly in in many places. Now, having uh, mentioned, uh, you know, three pretty positive comments, one from the transportation equipment industry is simply business conditions are generally flat. Um, now, transport, which, you know, flat would certainly correspond to a 49.4 uh, in the PMI. Uh, transportation equipment does include a, a host of things, including uh, aircraft, uh, including railroad cars, uh, uh, trucks, Class 8 vehicles, for example, as well as automobiles. And that's been, you know, a bit a bit off, a bit flat for the last little while. Even though one component autos has generally been going strong, uh, there's also some, you know, other headlines uh, in the news that suggest that that heyday may be coming to, um, you know, a, a, a closing, if you will, in terms of uh, perhaps not as strong. Uh, going forward, but we'll see. Uh, so, so those those are a few, uh, and 
there are other positives, uh, you know, food, beverage, and tobacco. You know, that company's on the list of uh, PMI up and uh, and uh, new orders up. And the comment is new product distribution is increasing. Now, that's a fairly specific comment. Uh, but having been in the food and beverage industry, I know that uh, new products and distribution of new products is really an important factor uh, in growth and, and being competitive. Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's, you know, another comment here that I like. It has to do with, with machinery, and machinery relates to capital equipment purchases. And the comment is that the, the past month sales increased over the trends from the first half of the year, but there seems to be general, albeit slight, loosening of capital purse strings. And that's something I've mentioned several times. And even though our forecast for capital equipment is uh, is rather rather small, uh, there's always the potential for those purse strings to be opened up uh, as the year progresses and and things uh, uh, you know st- continue to grow so there's an indication that that may be uh, happening in, at least in that particular company good so there's a flavor so, of some comments. Again, I, I, I sort of characterize those as mixed. Um, and with no specific theme indicated for the one-month slowing that manufacturing uh, is uh, is experiencing in the month of August. So, Brad, let me, let me ask you a question, uh, sort of going back to the beginning of our show. Um, as you know and our listeners know, uh, uh, I'm a manufacturer of steel products and forged products, and uh, so naturally we're pretty much dedicated to heavy industry, mining, metals, aerospace, and so on and so forth. The report that um, I've been seeing over the last three, four months, the our, our numbers have not been trailing uh, the uh, ISM numbers uh, as they usually do, and could this be a sort of an unexpected financial uh, report cleanup, bringing us more current? Because, like for example, the new order count was a, an incredible drop, and how much of that is you know heavy industry as it affects? Uh, steel producers and uh, forge shops and casting companies and so on. Is, is that a possibility? You know, it, it, it's certainly a, a possibility. Um, I'm just kind of scanning scanning the lists here of, uh, you know, companies on the list for, let's see, I thought I spotted. Hmm. Yeah, fabricated metal products is actually the last one on the list in terms of the PMI uh, in that particular industry, meaning that it is contracting more so than any other uh, industry on that list. So it could could be a catch-up, 
um, as I, I sort of use the term, a pause in the action, sort of catching up, catching our breath, uh, taking a break. I'm, right. you know, I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah. But if if that's the case, then you know perhaps we have caught up, and next month we'll be back on track with with growth, which is what we hope for, and. And also, I don't see anything that would stand in the way of a return to the five-month trend that we set up prior to August of growth. Right. Historically, Old Metals and Forge Group, um, the summer months, obviously, 15% of the population is on uh, vacation. So it typically is a drop in uh, certain aspects of the uh, uh, metalworking industry, and then right. September comes along, and uh, you know it it picks up miraculously. Everybody's back from vacation. Everybody has shown everybody their photos of vacation and so on. So they're now looking to be back into business. So September, October, November tends to be the better months. Uh, I, I know you you don't like it when I press you to forecasts, so I won't ask you to do so. I'm just telling you that September, October, November tends to be a better period than August in right. my in my frame of reference. Right. And if you well, want to concur with that, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> yeah. No, that and that would generally be true for for a lot of industries. I I suspect. Um, right. Now we we do take uh, because as you said, August 15 percent. Maybe it's even more this 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 past August, uh, you know, the, the Olympics, seriously, the Olympics were, were here. I know a lot of personal friends that went to the Olympics that wouldn't otherwise be, be ta- it's a once in a four year opportunity. You know, it's basically sure. in our time zone and it's fairly easy to get to, etc. Um, you know, and, you know, it's hot. People want to go to the beach, um, more so, right. but, now it now it's September. That's that's over. Kids are back to school. Parents are back to work. Uh, we're you know the stores are thinking about you know the fall collection and even thinking about sure. holidays. Oh, so sure. now for the for and the, the most US, part, you know. Go ahead. And the U.S. Open has started. Yes, I uh, <laughs> I noticed that. Um, you see. But, it's the uh, only sport I have any interest in. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see you out there. Uh, <laughs> the um, so, you know, things are things are going to get rolling. But I was going to going to mention or remind people that our PMI index and new orders, production, and employment, as well as supplier deliveries, are seasonalized, so that you know, in the long haul, each month looks like every other month. So while we're talking about, you know, the summer summer doldrums and, you know, picking back up in the fall, we've accounted for most of that statistically as best we can. But again, this particular August could be, you know, outside the normal in terms of, of, of you know, people taking vacations, et cetera, et cetera and could impact uh, the PMI and new orders accordingly. Frankly, we just won't know until we see the numbers next month. 
and we don't really have uh, any, you know, specific inkling about about why this month came in the way it did, because there's no comments that uh, or or collection of comments that suggest a theme or or a particular concern uh, or or headwinds brewing. I just don't I just don't see any of that which suggests to me that this is an anomaly, you know, just, just to use a word. Uh, and uh, let's, let's never forget that it's just one month, and one month does not make a trend. Never, so, never so, does. So, so let's not be lining up at the bridges. Let's, <laughs> let's hold our powder and, uh, and just go with the flow. Well, fortunately, we have windows that don't open in our office building, and uh, so we'll I'll, I'll stick with your wait-and-see attitude. <laughs> good, good. Well, I always choose a basement apartment, so I just I would have to jump up. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Tim, Tim, are you with us? Yeah, Brad, the, uh, the manufacturing report on business uh, every month also contains this section called Manufacturing at a Glance. Uh, I wonder if you could kind of walk our listeners through that, and if they actually want to yeah. find that report, it's on the uh, Institute for Supply Management.org site under News and Research. But since they can't see it, please walk them through it. Right. This is a very, very uh, meaningful table that summarizes uh, really the whole report in terms of, you know, if our job is to keep our, you know, our thumb on the pulse of manufacturing, you know, that's what this report does. And it starts out with the PMI itself. And, and we always see, you know, this month's number relative to the previous number. So we're, we're comparing August with July and the PMI at 49.4 is down 3.2 percentage points. So it's contracting from growing for the last five consecutive months. Uh, and, you know, continuing down the page, new orders is next. It came in at 49.1, down a pretty healthy 7.8 percentage points, uh, also contracting but just one month in a row. And only six of our 18 industries reported growth in new orders for the month of, of August. So that's quite a, a change from, I think, 12 industries reporting growth in new orders last month. Uh, similar production is down, and, of course, that follows new orders. It's down 5.8 percentage points to 49.6, just a touch under 50 Uh Again, contracting as well for the first month, for only one month in a row. And then employment at 48.3, down 1.1 percentage points. We've talked about employment each time. We don't expect uh, growth in employment in manufacturing for the balance of the year. So we're going to see some you know, pluses and minuses along the way. But having said that, let's remember that we have pretty strong employment in manufacturing and across the country. So we can't really expect or even want uh, necessarily to have, you know, strong growth uh, 
want, perhaps. I shouldn't really have mentioned that, but we, we certainly shouldn't expect uh, strong growth in employment, and we don't. Uh, supplier deliveries is, is another component of the PMI. It's at 50.9, showing uh, supplier deliveries are slowing for the fourth consecutive month. Uh, slowing deliveries is, is suggestive of a tight supply chain, which is good news. That's why we like it above 50. So that is actually the only one of the five supporting indexes uh, for the PMI that's above 50 this month. And then uh, the, the last of the five supporting indexes that go directly into the PMI is inventories of raw materials at 49, down a half a percentage points from last month, contracting, you know, still representing a lean inventory policy. And frankly, a nice job done because you know, to come in at essentially the same inventories when you've had low orders and low production is a particularly good job on the part of the inventory managers. Uh, in addition to those five metrics, we include uh, five more uh, on the side, if you will, that we keep track of other things, such as customer inventories of finished goods, at 49.5, down 1.5, that's suggestive of inventories on the, on the customer shelves of being too low, uh, indicating a propensity to restock shelves. That's, that's a good thing. Prices of raw materials very much in control. Uh, at 53 from an index standpoint, it's down two percentage points from last month. Uh, increasing slower, um, but prior to this this six month run of of price increases, I think we had something like 18 pro months consecutively of deflationary prices, which is not good in the long term. So we're on a good trend. Prices are relatively stable. Um, no no concerns uh, evident uh, for inflation. Um, next, uh, backlog of orders. I think I alluded to that. It's down two and a half percentage points uh, for the lack of new orders being strong. Production uh, worked into the backlog a bit and uh, is, uh, is now at 45.5, uh, still a good position. But that's what the backlog is for. It's like a, a rubber band or a spring to facilitate production leveling out according to its uh, employment and assets levels. The last two are exports and imports. The exports of new uh, uh, new finished goods is at 52.5, a nice number indicating, and same as last month, by the way, indicating that our overseas customers are uh, continuing to buy our, our finished goods uh, whereas imports is imports of raw materials, since we didn't need as many raw materials uh, for you know lower production, lower new orders, that came in five percentage points off uh, from last month's 52 to register 47.0 and contracting for for one month. Uh, 
Um, and then on this page, we also, and I mentioned it earlier, indicate that the overall economy has been growing for 87 consecutive months, uh, which is outstanding. Well, it certainly is. Uh, Brad, I wonder if you could explain uh, just quickly the overall economy growing. Um, when you get a report that's down uh, ever so slightly here, it doesn't necessarily affect that. Uh, how does that work? Well, that's right. Uh, we correlate our PMI and have a, you know, a very uh, intense statistical analysis uh, using an Exarema uh, 15 program to correlate the PMI against GDP. And what we find is that um, the the PMI crossover number is 43.2%. In other words, anything in the PMI above 43.2 over a period of time generally indicates growth or expansion in the overall economy. Uh, so we've got a long ways to go before we would hit a 43.2 number suggesting anything like uh, a blip in the, in the overall GDP economy. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I think it's interesting to note that for the month of August at 49.4 in the PMI, that generally corresponds to a full 2% increase in real gross domestic product annually. So the economy is in good shape. Uh, manufacturing took a breather uh, in August uh, due to really a combination of, of unknown factors or adjustments or, you know, corrections. And we'll have to simply, you know, wait and see what next month brings. Uh, but my, my, uh, my comment, my final comment would be, I don't see anything standing in the way of a return to growth in manufacturing in the month of September. Brad, that was almost a forecast. <laughs> almost. <laughs> well, we want to thank uh, Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair for the report on business from ISM, for joining us again on the show. Brad, we appreciate your insight and your comments, and uh, we certainly look forward to uh, next month's report to see how this almost forecast pans out. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. 
There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel. He is a noted economist with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He's also the economist for the FMA, which is the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. And Chris is usually the wind at our backs in uh, situations like this. Uh, unfortunately, when we're on the ledge of the 50th floor, that might not be a good thing. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show, and how do you see uh, things well, thank you very much for the invitation again. And <laughs> I always feel like the voice of doom these days. The CMI <laughs> did not perform as we hoped it would. Um, so we saw a fairly significant decline, but I sort of preface that by saying that it's still in that <clears throat> above 50 positive range, just not as far up as we had hoped it would be. And the part that was a little distressing is that for the last several months, we have seen really good progress in what we refer to as the favorable factors. These are things like sales and amount of credit um, issued and sort of the credit requests, that kind of thing. But that was holding very strong for several months in a row. Suddenly, that declined, and it declined sharply. The unfavorable factors stayed about where they were, and these were things like bankruptcies and accounts out for collection and slow pays and things of that nature. Those didn't change very much. Unfortunately, we were hoping they would because they have been right at that edge between contraction and expansion. They've been around 48, 49, 50, uh, and they're still around 48, 49, 50. So they didn't get any worse, but they didn't get any better. The credit managers, as a rule, tend to think a few months into the future. Um, they are consistently interested in what's happening in 90, 120, 180 days. Um, it's just the nature of their business. They don't care that you're doing well today. They want to know how you're going to be doing when they owe you. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're looking ahead a little bit and, and expressing a little bit of concern when it comes to what the retail season will shape up to be. I mean, I kind of agree with Brad. We're seeing a lot of numbers right now that are not great, um, but it's probably more, as he puts it, taking a breather, or it's it's kind of that weird transition point in the economy. I mean, the job numbers that came out on Friday, almost the second they come out, everybody is saying, remember, this is August and August is weird, and always gets revised, and it usually gets revised up significantly by 20, 30, 40,000 jobs. And that's just kind of the nature of, of summer. I mean, you get a huge influx of hiring in the teaching profession, but that doesn't happen until you know what enrollment is. Um, so we're sort of in that limbo land. We're going to know a little bit more probably the end of September than we do at the end of August. 
this is one of those months where you just kind of go, yeah, well, none of us want to be back to work, so why are we paying attention to this? <laughs> it may not be too far from the truth, though, you say, <laughs> It may not. So the credit managers index, when you say the favorables that we have, walk us through the favorables. Yeah, we call it favorable because in the credit manager's world, this is good news. Uh, if they're seeing a lot more sales, if they're seeing a lot more credit applications, it's it's the positive part of their world. The credit manager is the kind of ultimate Jekyll and Hyde. Part of their job is to facilitate business. I mean, people are coming to their companies wanting credit so they can buy machines, buy inventory, and their preference would be to turn to all of these people and say, why, yes, why, yes, here's all the credit you can possibly want. But the bad part of their business is they don't want to offer credit to somebody who's going to stiff them. And the rest of their world is spent in collection. Uh, it's getting the money from people who have suddenly decided not to pay or can't pay. Those are the unfavorables, the slow pays, the bankruptcies, the disputes, the accounts after collection. Uh, Chris, um, during uh, Brad's uh, segment, I had asked him a question, and I'm going to ask you the same question. And that's about uh, the numbers that uh, the ISM has been putting out the last uh, four or five months. Um, Our company tends to trail right along with them. And Uh and I'm talking about over, you know, maybe – for decades, and only recently has their numbers went this way, and our numbers as an industry went the other way. And uh, I'm just wondering if uh, the August numbers uh, was was a cleanup, so to speak, where everything, all the numbers caught up with each other and wound up taking a downward uh, trend. Uh, do you feel as though there's any validity to that? You know, I don't know if there is so much a catch-up going on as I think what we're starting to see in the business community as a whole is there are sectors that are doing very well and there are sectors that are not doing very well. And if you looked early in the year, there were more than a few companies that were trying to sort of uh, force their way back into a growth mode. They were being a little bit more risk-tolerant. They were hoping that there were some things turning in their direction. One of the things that happens with credit is that you can figure out when people have miscalculated because if they have gone out and purchased new machinery or bought new inventory and then they haven't seen the business justify it, they quickly find themselves in financial distress and you'll start to see that show up generally in sort of those early warning categories. The earliest warning in our index is the slow pay. Um, it's, it's accounts beyond their expected completion date. So you get somebody who says, I want to buy a machine. I'll pay you in 120 days. They're not getting the business they thought. And then they come back to you and say, well, can I have 60 more? Can I have 90 more? And that's a bit of a warning sign. It doesn't mean you're going to get stiffed, but it's getting closer. And we're starting to see a little bit of that miscalculation showing up in in certain sectors. More, obviously, in the oil and gas sector, um, people were getting encouraged early in the year. Now they're not. 
We've not seen as much of that in automotive. We haven't seen that much in aerospace. Um, but the agricultural sector was struggling a little bit earlier in the year, still struggling to a degree. Um, general manufacturing, it kind of is up and down. The good piece of news that came out last week, which may affect both PMI and CMI, is that we saw an 11% reduction in our trade deficit. And that was coming because we were selling more outside the U.S. So exports are up. That's been a problem all year. And all of a sudden, it's being a little bit less of a problem. The dollar differential is not as great. Our trading partners are a little better off than they were. Um, So if we can keep that up for a quarter or two, that's going to show up in a lot of data. Well, that's... uh I'm looking at some of your numbers uh, about slow slow pace and turning over uh, turning over accounts for collection. Mm-hmm. Those numbers actually too seemingly have gone uh, gone down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there uh, is the proof of the pudding. Um, right, right. Filings for bankruptcies also have gone down quite a bit. Uh, yeah, the bankruptcy has been interesting because that's obviously the final straw. I mean, everything else has been tried, and now the company is actually going to fold. We've seen a lot less in the way of bankruptcy activity because these days, when companies are on a downward slope, it is a lot smarter for them to pull the trigger early than wait till the bitter end. And so as you begin to see a sector struggling, um, you'll see a big surge in bankruptcy. We saw that around a year ago, and it has been much slower since. So a lot of the companies that were on the edge just went ahead and filed, went into reorg, did whatever they needed to do. And so now the rate of attrition has slowed. And and that's a good sign. I mean, that would suggest the, the biggest threat right now when it comes to bankruptcy is not in manufacturing, it's in retail. And, and that's, I think, more a factor of, changing consumer habits than anything else. Uh, You're seeing a lot of the traditional brick-and-mortar stores not able to compete with the Amazons and the dot-com world. But on the manufacturing side, bankruptcies have not really become an issue. On the uh, export uh, side of uh, this discussion, you're saying that our exports have uh, gone up and reversed by uh, 11% balance of trade. Uh, what what countries is it that is uh, has become our new favorite sweetheart? Well, they're really the same ones we've always sold to. If you look at the 50 states in terms of who they trade with, it's overwhelmingly three countries. I mean, if you're in the northern part of the U.S., you trade with Canada. If you're in the southern part of the U.S., you trade with Mexico. Almost everybody else in the country, their number one trade partner tends to be China, uh, at least from the import side. On the export side, we have seen a lot more expansion into Latin America. Um, The number one export destination for the U.S. has long been Mexico, but Mexico is becoming more and more important every year. We're also seeing a lot of expansion into other parts of Latin America um, that used to be kind of closed off to us. We're selling a lot more to Colombia. We're selling a lot more to Argentina. Um, Their new president is considerably more pro-business and pro-U.S. 
than the past ones have been. And under Maurizio Macri, you're seeing a kind of a renaissance of U.S.-Argentine trade. We've sold a certain amount to Brazil, but they've been having their issues, as we all know, and they're not doing that much business to anybody these days. We used to import a lot from Venezuela, which we don't now, um, but we continue to import quite a bit but sell even more to Mexico. It's kind of our our main trading partner. Canada, of course, is always up there because there's so much intercompany trade. I mean, it's technically trading with another country, but it's back and forth between different Ford and GM operations. And, you know, the vast majority of the trade with Canada is really trade between company divisions. It's going to be a little bit difficult selling into Mexico with that wall in the way. Exactly. I, I I love the comment that was made the other day by the Border Patrol saying, you know, dear dear whoever wants to build the wall, you do know that they use tunnels here. Um, <laughs> so so you know that it, it suddenly it suddenly complicates things no end. Now of course the Mexicans, not to be outdone by this, have there's a new bill that's been introduced in the Mexican legislature that's gonna revoke the treaty of eighteen forty eight so that they can take Arizona and New Mexico back. Um, so <laughs> things, things could get very interesting. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that by the time this is all over, Texas is just going to say, you know, we've always been an independent country, and now we're just going to admit it. Um, and we don't belong to either one of you. <laughs> so, what, year was, what year was that? 1848. Oh, <laughs> Uh, I want to talk to you, Chris, for a moment on the uh, the NAFTA agreement. You know, 20 years hence from when that agreement was signed, uh, there's some discussion that it sort of helped American manufacturing, but it may have undermined it in some ways, making the Bacchiadori more popular and uh, the jobs moved south of the border in what we call nearshoring. Has it really had that much of a negative impact on manufacturing? It really has not, but it, but it kind of depends on, on the context, because if you go back over by the last 20 or 30 years, it became pretty obvious that the U.S. was going to have a hard time competing when it came to manufacturing consumer goods. And, you know, for all of the complaints about what companies do and countries do, at the end of the day, it comes down to a consumer that wants to be able to go to Walmart and buy 180 pairs of tube socks for a dollar. I mean, they're, you know, they are looking for cheap, cheap prices. So originally, that business went to Asia. That was where the low-cost production platforms were. So in the 1980s, uh, kind of starting in the 70s, even into the early 90s, you saw a lot of relocation to Asia. And that's where a lot of people were saying, well, this is where we lost all those jobs. And a lot of truth to that because the consumer manufacturers moved there. What has happened since the 90s is that doing business in China has never been easy. It's always in a very bureaucratic state. You have logistics costs that are very high. Those companies that moved to China then began to move back to North America, specifically to Mexico. So we did not get the companies back. This is true. However, they moved to a place that is going to be buying from us a great deal more than where they originally went. China imports no more than about, on a good year, maybe 9 to 12% of what they import comes from the U.S. 
on an average year with Mexico, 90% of what they import comes from the U.S. So in the great scheme of things, if you're going to have a company operating someplace other than the U.S., you might as well have it as a neighbor because you're going to get the benefit of that trade. The Mexicans will be producing things, selling them to us at the same time, buying from us so that they can produce things to sell to us. The Chinese never did that. So in the in the great scheme of things, it's been good for us. It would have been nice, perhaps, if we had held on to those manufacturing plants, but that would have come at a cost, too. If we did not import the inexpensive consumer goods that we're used to buying, the average American family would be paying out between eight and $10,000 more per year for what they buy. So one way to look at this is that if these factories that stayed here, it ends up being an $8,000 tax on every American in the United States. And if somebody came up to you and said, hi, we're going to tax you $8,000 more, your reaction would not be a happy one. <laughs> so. yeah, all right. Now, is the CCP uh, in some ways that's being viewed as the same thing? Now the American worker gets to compete with Malaysia, Vietnam, and Brunei. Is that going to be more or less than NAFTA? You know, the TPP is a funny thing, and it was from the very beginning. And it's languished long enough in the Senate and elsewhere so that people have kind of lost what the focus was originally. The plan was to try to isolate China. Uh, We were concerned that all the Asian trading partners that we had were becoming more and more connected to China and less and less connected to us. So we thought that we would start a trade organization which was exclusive of China and would get all of these countries locked back into the U.S. It was really seen as kind of a no-brainer because most of the provisions of the TPP were pretty pro-American. Um, many of the other countries, you know, we are sort of not aware of the fact that the TPP has been opposed bitterly by many of the Asian countries because it was seen as too pro-American. We've waited so long that China has sort of flipped it on us and began to develop their own relationships so that even if we pass TPP, the China's already got locked in some of the trade agreements that we were trying to keep them from locking in. So it was really more strategic than it was economic. And now that it's beginning to, to falter, there's a whole lot less support for it than there was in the beginning because it was like, well, this is supposed to be us sneaking up on the Chinese. Well, since it's taken eight years, they sort of saw us coming, and we're not sneak- <laughs> they're not sneaking up on them anymore. <laughs> so it's like, oops, if you're, if you're going to try to pull a, a, a it, this is almost like a get smart move, Please don't announce that you're going to do something to somebody 10 years before you do it. <laughs> uh, you know, we've talked to you in the past about Brexit, and uh, that now has, at least from a vote point of view, mm-hmm. passed. It hasn't really uh, been implemented yet. What's your sense of implementation? Is it going to take two years or two months, or when's it really yeah, going to begin to happen? Yeah, I think it's going to be a while because what you have in Britain is the full knowledge that they've got two years to even start this process. 
And as soon as you had a new government uh, in Britain under Theresa May, you've now got a very pragmatic leader who was nominally in favor of staying, but is now negotiating for the best deal that she can get. What's happened is that investors throughout Europe are, are kind of in limbo. They don't know what it's going to be, so they're, they're hesitant. And I think this was kind of deliberate on the part of the U.K., the people who are complaining the most now are German business people who are saying, would you please get on with this? We can't make plans until you figure this out. So quit being so stubborn, quit being so punitive, work out a deal that's good for us, good for the British, and and get on with it. And they're putting a lot of pressure on the really angry German politicians like Wolfgang Schauble, who at the moment of Brexit was the one going, kick them out immediately. <laughs> you know, and it's like, Wolfgang, would you please calm down? And and so now cooler heads are prevailing and saying, okay, so they're not part of the European Union. You do know that other countries have survived this. Norway is not a member. Switzerland's not a member. Iceland's not a member. You know, it's not the kiss of death. And, you know, we get along with those countries just fine. We can do it with the British, too. How about the... the uh members of the EU that we're hearing so much about. They were, you know, Greece was in terrible trouble. Italy might be next. Spain would soon follow. None of that seems to have come to pass what's happening there. Yeah, it's kind of been chased out of the headlines. They're in as bad a shape as they always were. Um, and they're sort of living on borrowed time. I mean, it's, it's all well and good to demand the kind of austerity programs that have been required for for Greece or Spain or Italy or Portugal. The problem is that they can't really dig themselves out of this mess. And they're either going to require a whole lot more aid over a long period of time, or they're going to have to figure out something unique. I mean, Spain probably has as good a shot at getting out of this as any, because at least it has manufacturing. It has things that it can export. So can Italy. Greece and Portugal, I mean, there's there's nothing they can do to dig out of this. They don't have an export sector. They don't really have a manufacturing sector. And it's they've always been the weak sisters of Europe, and now it's it's even more painfully apparent. It's it all kind of comes down to how long you want to to carry these these weaker institutions. I mean, if you look at the European Union and you sort of compare it to the United States. We don't have these big battles over rich states supporting poor states, but yet we just do it automatically. The other 49 states basically prop up Mississippi and, and have for years, and, and there are just states that do better than others, and we just kind of accept that that's the price we pay for being the United States. The Europeans are still struggling with that concept. You know, they, they're united kind of, but the Germans resent doing anything for a poorer state, you know, and, and everyone worries that if you do it for one, you're going to have to do it for everybody else. And frankly, the country that scares everybody to death is France because they're not that far off from what Italy and Spain and Greece are going through. And nobody wants to try to pay for France. Not again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not again. Yeah, again, again, right. So let's yeah, talk back exactly. to manufacturing in the U.S., Chris. Uh, you know, we, Will and I have been, I guess, waving the American flag and saying that manufacturing has led the United States out of every recession it's been in. 
Yeah, that's been the most depressing thing about the recession or the depression. We did not see the recovery that we normally get when there's a recession. Now, this is kind of good news, bad news. The bad news, of course, is that we didn't get the rebound that we often get from a recession. The good news is that because we didn't get a rebound, we're unlikely to get another recession. <laughs> so we never got out of the first one. So it's, it's those who are talking gloom and doom kind of forget that to have a second one, you've got to have a boom, which we haven't had. The big challenge, I think, is that we're in a transition period. We're we're trying to figure out what the new rules are, and manufacturing is at the top of that list. You know, it is now automated and technological and robotic. What does that mean long term for the economy? It means that manufacturers tend to be healthier because they're more competitive in the global market. It also means that they employ a whole lot less people. And that challenges their political position. You know, right now the politicians keep talking about, wow, it's great. Let's bring a manufacturing facility to town. This will be great. It'll generate jobs. And they bring one in and it's like we hire 10 people. It's like, wow, where's all the people? You know, we have robots, man. You know, so so one of two things is going to happen. You know, either we're going to start giving robots to vote, um, in which case, (laughs) you know, people will get more excited about them. Um, or you're just going to have to sort of face the fact that it's the service sector that's going to generate the most jobs. I mean, the jobs report, the most interesting thing that came out of that was looking at where the jobs came from. You had almost 14,000 manufacturing jobs leave. You had 35,000 restaurant jobs arrive. So we're losing manufacturing workers and we're gaining restaurant workers. And there's a pretty significant pay differential between those two jobs. I think that I'm going to start the uh, Greek Olive Growers Association and (laughs) start to convince Americans to eat more olives when they don't have a job. It's nourishing, and and it'll help the Greeks. All you (laughs) have to do is figure out a way to prove definitively that olive oil is an aphrodisiac, and you'll be in business. Or it helps to grow hair. <laughs> That's right. That, there you go. Even better. You may both. You know, I mean, you know, it's like it's, it's, it becomes all gain uh, or something. So. <laughs> right. Well, Chris, we always appreciate your insights on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you. Look forward to your comments. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Take care. Well, we are going to wrap up with uh, a discussion on our three-part series on uh, what I like to call prison slave labor. Yeah, it's uh, that's exactly what it is. And I want to remind those who may have tuned into the show late that uh, on in in August. we had a show, uh, uh, the prison show part one, which was uh, August 21. It was an incredible show. There's uh, uh, manufacturing is competing uh, against prisons, or prisons are competing against manufacturing, and uh, it's hard to compete against 16 cents an hour 
which is what the our U.S. prisoners are getting, actually 16 cents to a dollar and a quarter. Not that that's very helpful. Uh, and it was we had a guest on the show. I suggest that you listen to his tale of woes. He lost nine million in revenue, and was forced into literally changing his business model uh, so that he can uh, save himself. Uh, on, uh, on the 13th of September, we're going to have part two. We're going to have Michael Manish, president of the Pennsylvania Apparel uh, Company. He's also chairman of the Government Contracts Committee of the American Apparel and Footwear Association, which is the largest apparel trade association in the United States. And he personally testified uh, in Congress um, regarding this issue that has become really, really disgusting, as uh, a candidate for president usually says. Uh, and uh, I think that we need to listen to this because there are things going on that nobody knows about, and we are here to tell you all about it. Tim? And it isn't new news, but you'll hear uh, part two of the three-part series next week. So tune into Manufacturing Talk Radio and that takes care of Manufacturing Talk Radio for this Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Take care, folks. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.